Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The race is on, and while we're just a few weeks away from the start of launch season, the wheels are already in motion for 2023, with the driver market soon to crank into life. With as many as 11 seats free for next year, who will be the key players in the silly season, and who can we expect to get tied down soon? I'm Ed Straw, and joining me to answer those questions and many more are Scott Mitchell and Mark Hughes. Mark, hello, how are you doing? I'm very well, yes. I'm just still writing, waiting for new cars to arrive, so we've got something more 2022 to write about rather than 21. But yeah, it's, uh, it's all going so far so good. It's an exciting time, isn't it? It's all starting to slowly crank into life. And Scott Mitchell, another person who's been writing plenty about 2021 and the season to come, are you, are you enjoying the still this little hiatus before things get going? Uh, yeah, I think um, it's always quite nice when you get to the off-season because it's a good chance to talk about and write about things that you don't have time to during the season itself. So that it's good in that regard. And then you actually get to the off-season where you have all this stuff to transcribe and write and you're then caught in two minds because it is nice to be able to write about this sort of stuff. But then you're just like, oh, I just wish I didn't have anything to write about for a little bit just to have um, a little bit of time off. But it's nice because you then, yeah, you get into all all sorts of stuff and before too long, everyone's announcing their car launch dates and um, attention very rapidly shifts again to the exciting part of the pre-season, um, especially as 2022 is so exciting. It's probably the most eagerly anticipated launch season for a while. So yeah, there's a decent mix of doing some slightly different stuff compared to normal and obviously starting to get excited again about the new season. Yeah, and it probably won't be, well, it won't feel like long until we're in Barcelona for the uh, for the first test. That's normally the way these things go. But yeah, it's a, it is a quite nice time. I must admit, sometimes you get people complaining about, oh, this is just filler because there's nothing to talk about. But actually, it's quite, it is quite fun to get into some of the topics that you don't have the chance while everything's happening 
to really get into some of the sort of wider and more reflective pieces. So it's an interesting time and a good palate cleanser for the season to come after the controversies of, of last year, which of course rumble on. But we're not going to be talking about them today. It's going to be all about the driver market. And while it might seem a little bit premature, obviously the driver market never really goes completely silent. And there's quite a lot of potential for changes next year. 11 seats, as we said, potentially free for next year. And it's not just us that thinks that Ferrari team principal Mattia Bonotto has said that there's 11 potentially available. Of course, some of those seats will be held on to by whoever's in them now. But it means there's quite big potential for, for things to shift around. And you've got the extra excitement of the facts that because it is new cars, there could be a shuffle in the competitive order. So different destinations could move up and down the table in terms of how appealing they are. So we're going to work through broadly team by team, just because that's the most sensible way to do it, although there will be a little bit of shooting off at tangents, inevitably, given what drivers are involved. So, Mark, let's start with a team that actually has both of its drivers under contract for 2023, Mercedes. Now, we need to talk about them simply because of the question marks over Lewis Hamilton's ongoing participation. Now, we talked about that on a previous podcast. Nothing's really changed from then. But were he to walk away that would change the driver market significantly for 23, wouldn't it? So we have to have that in mind. It would do, yeah, especially if they recruited by buying out an existing driver such as Esteban Ocon, which um, I would, um, if, if I had to bet on what would happen if Lewis did uh, decide to step back, uh, th- that would be my, um, that's, that's where I'd put my money. Uh, but there's all sorts of diff- different cards could start falling into place if if um if Lewis didn't continue. Only Lewis can know if he's going to return. I, I'd assume he is, but who knows. Uh, other names in connection with that seat, aside from just slotting in Nick De Vries from Formula E, would be Sebastian Vettel, Fernando Alonso, even a return for Valtteri Bottas, uh, Nico Hülkenberg. I'd look seriously at Kevin Magnussen in that situation, though I know he's got a, a programme planned elsewhere. Um but if, for example, it was Vettel, then presumably Hulkenberg comes back to F1 via Aston Martin. So there's all sorts of sort of chain reactions um, could be triggered if if Lewis decides he isn't coming back. But it's probably pointless pondering too far down that chain, um, just on, on a, a an unlikely, probably an unlikely what if, um, because of some very real um, the vacancies elsewhere. And there's and, and there's all sorts of um, things that can happen in the season itself once we actually get going that that you never know could could change things for 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 2023. I, I suspect that if Lewis does come back, there's um, little reason to believe that Mercedes would have anything other than a Hamilton Russell partnership this year and next year. But it's interesting to think you know you, we you until we hear from him, we've got no idea under if he's going to come back under any conditions. Maybe it would be that if he he came back and won the title. Maybe he would think he's, you know, um, ticked off a box that he felt was wrongly left unticked at the end of 2021, and decides that's it. He just wants to come back, grab that title, and disappear. Maybe he'll blow Russell away, and Mercedes will be left with um, second uh, have, have reservations about about Russell and, and, and in his future. Maybe someone else will emerge with an, a mega 2022 season and put themselves on. On on the radar, so it, it's interesting, especially even even when you think of drivers who are locked down beyond a certain season, there is always sort of potential for things to change. But this would seem on paper to be the most settled of the of the lineups. 
it's our overall Mercedes. We have to be aware of the possibility, but really assume that everything stays as expected at Mercedes in 23, but be prepared for some disruption if the unexpected happens. So let's move on to Ferrari next, Scott, simply because that seems the most straightforward. Carlos Sainz joined last year on a two-year deal, so a new contract that surely it's a no-brainer, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think it worked really, really well for for both uh, both parties in in twenty twenty one, and I think if anything, signs was the um, the a uh, slightly stronger option than Ferrari probably thought it had signed in the first place. I think he's more than justified uh, a new deal. I see absolutely no doubt whatsoever that he can't be the the wingman to Leclerc that he needs to be at the bare minimum. And I see every possibility that he can develop into to, to more than that. Is he going to be on Leclerc's level? I'm. I think he'll get very. I think he can get very, very close. But I do think Leclerc is just in that sort of like uber special group of drivers, and maybe Carlos will ultimately fall, even if it's you know a tenth of a percent short of that. But that's exactly what Ferrari needs. It's probably more than Ferrari needs for for the foreseeable future. And if you look at those drivers that still have plenty of years in them, but also have plenty of experience un, uh, under their belt, you know, Carlos fits that, that mold perfectly. There's probably not a better driver who has that in that mix of experience and uh, experience and, and youth on his side, with the exception of someone like Verstappen, who obviously started frighteningly young so I think Sainz is in a very good position. I would expect him to be able to lock something down for for the medium term. I, I think I'm I'm assuming that Carlos was signed on a, a a two plus one deal. So from Ferrari's perspective, now that they've seen what they've got, I think they really need to get that extended as soon as possible because you really don't want the possibility of losing him um, a year or two down the line if there's suddenly a you know, a Mercedes seat becoming available or a Red Bull or something like that, you know, they, they need to lock him down. And I think um, they probably w- would have been satisfied with a, you know, a good solid performance um, and would have just continued to let that run and take up the option of the existing contract. But I would think that the um, imperative now is very much to get that contract extended and get Carlos nailed down for a few years. And I think on Sainz's side, he'll be keen to as well, because he's obviously been a bit nomadic at times in his F1 career, hasn't he? He was at Toro Rosso. Obviously, he was under contract to Red Bull, never got the chance with Red Bull Racing, but he had that season and a bit with Renault, then McLaren, then Ferrari. And obviously, Ferrari is the big destination for him. And because he's done so well in terms of adapting, I can't see him being willing to turn his back on that. Yeah, any driver would consider a Mercedes or or Red Bull opportunity based on where performance was last year. But I think it's in his interest to set down some routes at Marinello, especially because he has performed so well. It's such a great driver lineup that pairing, because they've got great complementary skills. Although, yeah, Leclerc has that little bit extra in terms of just that that speed, should we say. Sainz is such a rounded, intelligent driver, quick as well, that he's able to get to a very similar level. I'll be interesting to see how those two pan out this year but it's a great driver lineup for for Ferrari and Mattia Bonotto did say before Christmas that he expected there to be some talks in the the off season so it wouldn't surprise me if the science deal is done and announced before certainly the season starts if not before testing gets going just to get that tidied up and out of the way 
there's always a chance someone else will come after him, but I'd, I'd be very, very surprised in, in that one. Let's move on to Red Bull now, Mark. Max Verstappen, he signed up until the end of next season. There's also been talk of a new deal for him, so he appears to be there for the long haul. Drivers' Championship won last year, so I can't see any reason why either side would want to shake up that relationship. What are the chances of Sergio Perez earning an extended stay beyond the end of 22, though? Mm, it's not um, not certain. I, I think actually think Red Bull's preference would be for Alex Alban to show sensationally well at Williams so they be, could feel comfortable taking him back because he's still very, very highly regarded there. Um, Perez had the chance to make that drive his own last year, and he, he didn't really. He, he did okay, and he, you know, he backed Max up and he won a race, but you didn't make it a no-brainer that he's the only guy for that car, and he had the opportunity to do that. Um, so he's got the chance to do that again this year, but it's, I don't think it's a done deal. Um, I think a lot's going to depend on how um, the, the 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 new formula of car uh, dovetails with um, the the respective way that they prefer to have the car set up because that was the way that the Red Bull worked. He wasn't comfortable with. Um, he was even um, in terms of the. In, t- in terms of the, the chassis itself, but also in, in terms of the power unit, it was, you know, there's a lot of muscle memory involved. Um, I think Scott did a, a piece on that uh, recently. Uh, so, yeah, he, he, there's, there's no reason why he shouldn't improve significantly next year. Um, but if if he does just another repeat of the year just gone, I don't think that would be enough. I think there will be an imperative there to put one of the younger guys in. Um, Gasly, there's there's been historically some resistance um, to, from senior management about bringing him back into into the big team, but he's you know that that, that doubt can't go on forever. He's he's banging on that door really hard, so Red Bull may have to use him or lose him. So yeah, I don't think Sergio's place will. I don't think Sergio will be feeling that it's a done deal and that he's uh, he can relax. It's interesting to consider the the prospect that Red Bull could end 2022 or halfway through 2022 could have three legitimate contenders for the seat next year or none. <laughs> if uh, if Perez underperforms at Red Bull, Albon has a bit of a difficult time at Williams and the inherent doubts about Gasly remain, then what what do Red Bull do? They they, they I I feel like they are in a position where they could have um, been a, a feast or famine position for for Red Bull Racing drivers beyond beyond 2022. But I agree with what Mark said about Perez needing to step it up. He, by his own admission, he was hoping for more in in 2021. And I think by the time they wanted to confirm him for 22, I think that was more of a a no brainer purely because it was clear that they just didn't have an interest in promoting Gasly again and and Albon had just been on the sidelines so he was doing development work but they were looking at alternative options to get him back into F1 so Perez kind of stayed on almost by default combined with the fact that he went he had that decent back-to-back run in Azerbaijan and France which really really sort of boosted his chances of getting that deal done over the summer which is it ended up being what happened because Red Bull wanted to lock that down early. Give, I think they really bought into the idea that 
he had had a difficult time of things in the first half of the year with the lack of preparation and, and really needed to learn stuff. And there was a, an awful amount of rhetoric about the the 22 car being such a different concept that it would, would be something that would um, just make, the, make it easier for Perez to get to the limit of it. So no excuses now in 22. He's had the, he's had the full year. He's got a proper pro- proper preseason program. He knows how everything works. He should have a friendlier car in in theory to work with. It's um absolutely Perez's to lose. And then it's down to Gasly and Albon to put themselves right in the picture to replace him if Perez under delivers. Yeah, Perez has ultimately got exactly what he needs, doesn't he? He's got the opportunity to make it beyond question that he stays in that team. But He's got quite a lot of work to do to do that. He was interesting last season because he had he had some good moments. He had a decent little run towards the end of the season. He had some good cameos, that lap and a half, costing Hamilton a huge amount of time in Abu Dhabi. But overall, if you look at the level of performance and the trend over the season, etc., it wasn't really up to the level I think any of us expected. So we know there's a big upside there for, for Perez. But the whole Red Bull driver line landscape, it's fascinating, isn't it? There's five Red Bull contracted drivers on the F1 grid. So the two Red Bulls, the two Alpha Tauris, plus Alex Albon. There's five of them in F2 as well. Yuri Vips, Liam Lawson, Jan Deruvula, Dennis Hauger, Aimu Waza as well. So there's quite a big queue there in terms of who's going to be the next cab off the rank for Red Bull from the, the junior series. So there's a lot of different permutations there. And we should talk about Alpha Tauri because obviously Sonoda's got his second year, but he clearly needs a good step forward this year but he finished last season encouragingly had that very good fourth place in Abu Dhabi so Red Bull feels like the epicenter almost of the driver market because they can have so many knock-on effects on everything because for example if they drop Perez he's going to be a driver who's in demand then it'll be a question of if Perez can find a seat he finds acceptable Pierre Gasly if he doesn't get the Red Bull seat that he's keen on will he be in demand Elsewhere, they'd probably be quite keen in keeping him at Alpha Tauri at the very least. Who's going to come in? Albon's one-year deal at Williams. So it's it's quite an interesting position for Red Bull to be in, isn't it, Mark? They probably are the the ones that could decide just how volatile this driver market is. Yeah, absolutely. They almost need another team, don't they? <laughs> they almost need a third team to to fit all. Don't, the, don't the give talent. them ideas. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah it, it it's it, it, it's a lot is hinging on the performance of the their existing drivers it's true it's very true um particularly um Sonoda because you know you had a very disappointing rookie season overall all of the peaks were were very impressive indeed so um yeah a lot hanging on his performance because if, if he suddenly fell out of the the program um it, it it opens up but if he then convinces and rather he convinces and does a puts together more of those peaks then yeah it 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 makes that traffic jam even worse and we may have to start sort of looking at um sort of lending them out elsewhere and uh, you don't always get them back then and you you you, you know you, that's that's the danger you may have that's that, that's a difficulty red bull have had with this system isn't it that, that sometimes they haven't felt that they've got somebody sufficiently good to to, to d- demand a place in the senior team um but other times they've had drivers probably too good to be retained in the junior team for as long as they were i'm thinking of carlos Sainz um, in particular and pierre gasly now so yeah, it's a, it, it's a tricky one, but it's it's quite a nice problem for them to have, I guess. Yeah, Gasly's in an interesting situation, isn't he? Because 
he wants his next move to be a move to one of the the big teams. Did a piece with him for the for the race website where he was saying that yeah the next move is key and he basically wants to put himself on pole position for the next time a top four team makes a change that he's at the front of the queue. Scott, if you're Pierre Gasly and let's say hypothetically you know you're not getting a Red Bull seat for 2023 at some point in the coming season. Do you say, right, I'm just going to knuckle down and carry on with Alpha Tauri, or do you try and force a move elsewhere? Because obviously, regardless of his contractual situation, as Carlos Sainz showed, you can force a loan move or whatever or try and find something somewhere else. I think you've. Uh, I think it depends on whether you what you see in the first six months of this year from other teams. Because at the moment, and I, th- I think I remember us having a conversation about this, Ed, um, around sort of August time when it was when Perez was confirmed at Red Bull for twenty two, and I did a piece on Gasly sort of being a driver that the driver market had just moved past. Effectively, your argument was he's not in a bad position because there's nowhere above AlphaTauri that looks like it will take him, and there's nowhere below that he'd rather be than AlphaTauri. So it's actually not a horrific situation for him to be in a bit of a holding pattern. but And that might well be the situation he finds himself in later this year. If the pecking order remains the same and there's nowhere better than Alpha Tauri that will have him, why would you move unless you were absolutely convinced by that team's trajectory? Like You'd have to think that it would it would require something like Alpine or Williams or one of those teams to show that they're actually going to make big leaps in the next two or three years. And then it depends on the availability. You know, if um, if with Alpine, for example, it's Alonso disappearing, then presumably Oscar Piastri is next in line there. You know, how watertight is Ocon's million-year contract? Is, is Gasly's only alternative going to be a smaller team with a vacancy that convinces him it's a worthwhile medium-term project? So... I think, and I think you can only make that judgment call, any kind of informed judgment call, several months into this season at the absolute earliest. Yeah, and for all the rhetoric about Alpha Tauri being, what is it, a sister team, they call it, rather than a junior team, it is always going to be the second Red Bull team. That's something that does put a certain ceiling on its possibilities and its potential. So there will come a time where Gasly might be minded to look elsewhere. One thing we should briefly touch on, Mark, we mentioned the, the fact Verstappen is contracted to the end of next year anyway. Talk of a new contract. What sort of timeline would you expect from that? There was some talk that a new contract could be done quite soon. But if you're Verstappen, do you want to wait to see what's falling into the place for the longer, longer term? Obviously, there's all sorts of stuff going on in the future with the engine side and so on and so forth. You might want to just hang, hang fire, wouldn't you? Strategically, that's exactly what you'd what you'd want to do, and I'd expect his his management, um, Raymond Vermillion, will be uh, advising him to do exactly that. I, I don't think um, he'd be looking too hard at anywhere other than Red Bull for for the long term. But you know, you don't you don't know what will it look like six months, eight months from now. You you really you, there's no need to commit so early. I'm sure I'm sure there'll be pressure on. Um, from the Red Bull side to do that to commit early, but it, from Max's point of view, there's no there's no reason to. So I think you'll see that um, probably drag on a little bit. Um, but my guess would be eventually it will be done. 
Yeah, you've always, if you're a driver in that situation, got to be wary of the possibility of sending yourself down a little bit of a cul-de-sac because it might seem like the F1 world is at your feet. But as another mid-20s driver who just won a championship a few years ago, or about 15 years ago now, <laughs> realised in Fernando Alonso, things can go a little bit awry no matter how good you are. The only thing I'd say is that it, Max could easily, well, I say easily, Max could theoretically do a deal that just puts him on better terms and gives him an out. You know, if he has ex- an exit clause that's in his favour or options, for example, that are in his favour, I wonder if it's a good time to use his uh, value as the new world champion and the fact that Red Bull are so, so overwhelmed by him and, and, and love him as a driver and an asset. I'm, I'm sure his stock within Red Bull is not going to drop over the next year or two, but the fact that it is almost certainly higher than ever gives him a good platform doesn't it to do negotiations so if you're in a position where you're not actually locking yourselves yourself into three or four complete and utter locked down seasons with Red Bull regardless of what happens performance wise I think it would make sense to look into doing a new deal that gets you better terms because ultimately Max is here to to race but he also knows that this is this is his career and this is this could be the time to cash in on on his value because you just don't know how the rest of it's going to go um so it wouldn't surprise me if they came out and did a, a new deal i just would imagine any deal that goes beyond 2024 at this point especially with new power unit regulations coming in for 2026 would have to give max uh, quite a decent escape route if things suddenly plummeted at red bull yeah and that's not unusual for red bull contracts to have that kind of thing in them. That's exactly what Sebastian Vettel, I think, used to, to get out of his one back in the day when he moved on to Ferrari. So yeah, interesting to see what happens with Verstappen. Let's move on to McLaren now, Scott. Lando Norris has a long-term deal. Daniel Ricciardo's under contract to the end of 2023, so things should remain unchanged at McLaren. But can you see any scope for something to happen there? Uh, yeah, if Ricardo has another season like he did in 2021, then I think there is absolutely potential for that to change. Whether that is on Daniel's side deciding that he's too competitive a person to do it this way, and if he feels that McLaren was his last roll of the dice in terms of being part of a project, he might decide that he's had enough, earned enough, and there are other things he might want to do. Um, or it could be that on the team side there's a mechanism that they have where they feel forced to replace him. I don't think it's what either will want. I think both of them very excited about what that partnership had the potential to be. And while that was obviously hurt in 2021, I do think that the the ingredients that made it so, so enticing to both, I think the ingredients are still there. So it, it's one of those things where it theoretically should work out, especially with this being a, a very different car. So Ricardo would hope that the things that plagued him characteristic-wise dis- have just naturally disappeared because of the change in concept. If it is the same as it was in 2021, then I don't really see why either party would be keen to continue because Ricardo doesn't want another year or two of being smashed by a younger, faster driver, and McLaren doesn't want a seat being taken up by someone who can't, you know, crack their car and is constantly two, three, four tenths off the pace. Even Ricardo's form in the second half of 2021, I don't think is 
good enough to continue for a second and especially a third season. So I think there is quite a bit riding on on that side of things. Um, I'm not trying to be doom and gloom. I just think realistically, it's not something either is going to, to, to want to put up with for more than one more season. I'd be a little more confident that he will be able to bounce back um, than I would be saying uh, Checo will narrow the gap to Max. Um, that, that that's just my gut instinct. I, I I'm pretty confident that we'll see um, a Daniel without any you know, hang-ups with the car and you know with a clean slate. I think we I think we will see um, the old Daniel return. Um, but yes, I agree, Scott. If uh, if we don't, that's um, that's far from a done deal. But you could say with Ricardo that last year has exposed a weakness in his repertoire, shall we say, as a driver that perhaps wasn't shown up before. And I, I, I rate Ricardo very highly. He's done some great things in Formula One, but kind of feel, I sort of feel the same as you, that it'll be stronger this year. But then I'm trying to delve into that and say, well, why exactly do I think that? And is there just a limitation there? Maybe a certain amount of adaptability. His driving's gone down a certain way. And in fact, James Key, the technical director of McLaren, has said it's a lot of the things that he learned that made that that he made strengths back in the Toro Rosso days were the things that he couldn't do in the McLaren. So has he just ended up in a in a window with McLaren where he just doesn't work that well? And is it a foregone conclusion that those characteristics in the car will be gone? Or the other possibility is Lando Norris as the fastest driver in F one and would absolutely destroy everyone else. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> possible. <laughs> <laughs> That's also well. Ricardo is absolute best. Certainly, isn't necessarily going to be beating Norris, but even so, the, the Ricardo we've seen in the past was not the Ricardo that we saw a lot of true. last year, was it? Yeah, true. Because you, you see that comfort in the car, etc. Yeah. What do you think on this, Scott? Do you, do you think there's there's a danger that that Ricardo? People say found out. I don't really like that phrase, and I, I suspect he won't be. But I think it's an important thing to delve down into. Because I just feel that maybe that there's a risk of just because Ricardo's performances have been so strong in the past that, that you kind of ignore potential weaknesses. I think it's probably down to the fact that the reason he was struggling or what he was struggling with at McLaren, I think, plays to one of his big weaknesses as a driver. Not um, not in terms of the technique side of things, but I think by his own admission. Daniel has talked about the fact that he has been dev- less devoted to the technical side of of things in in the past. I think he's a driver who I, I don't want to do him a disservice and put words in his mouth, but he has said things to the effect of he's someone who puts all of his effort into being in the right headspace and he drives on on feel. That's not to say he's not studious. It's not to say that he doesn't you know really get into the data side of things, but. I think he's talked before about not being uber technically minded when it comes to understanding, I suppose, the technical nuances of his driving style. I think 2021 forced quite a bit of soul searching in that regard to actually understand why he was doing what he was doing. And it's a very, very difficult task to get someone who operates entirely as a driver on a subconscious level to then actually try and put into words and understand what it is they're doing with the steering wheel, with the braking phases, and then also try to rectify that in a way that then becomes a a natural solution rather than something he's having to consciously think about all the time. So 
I suspect that was an unusual exercise for Daniel to go through. And as it's not something that perhaps comes naturally to him to study himself in that way, that probably meant it wasn't quite as easy as he might have thought to get on top of of those issues. So the question is really how much progress he made with with that side of things last year, because I, th- I think he did properly throw himself into it. I'm not saying he's a lazy driver who who isn't interested in doing that sort of thing and, and he's arrogant and just says, oh, it's fine, I'll get on top of it eventually because I'm mega. I think he did put a lot of work in. But let's just see how far he got with that. And also, if, as you said, those characteristics are baked into a McLaren Formula One car, or if they do fade away with the with a new with a new technical rule set. Yeah, you'd imagine the car will be a little bit less extreme than it was in the past. Certainly the team has said that Ricardo's struggles have actually helped them to isolate some peculiarities in the car. And I imagine that Ricardo's introspection of last year will have probably mean he comes into this season a stronger driver than before, but we'll see how it goes. And as we've said, Norris is a hell of a yardstick because he had a fantastic season last year and just keeps getting better. Let's move on to Alpine, Mark. Esteban Ocon's under contract until 2024. Fernando Alonso's the big question mark here for 23. Lots of change going on at Alpine at the moment. So what are the chances of Alonso staying on next year, do you think? I personally don't think they're that great. I hope I'm wrong, but I've got real doubts about Alpine's likely competitiveness in, in 20 this year. Because um, what we're hearing doesn't sound all that promising. And all the changes in personnel and hints that they're struggling with reliability on the power unit, the bills behind schedule, et cetera, et cetera. So if that translates into the sort of season that usually does when, when, when you get such a trouble start, I can't see Fernando wanting to go long term um, and re- renewing for another three years or whatever, uh, in which case it's got to be Oscar Piastri, hasn't it? So who who I think even if he's not in an Alpine in 23, I am sure he will be in something in, in Formula 1. Yeah, he's got to be on the F1 grid next year, really, hasn't he? Because he's done everything. He's he's won all the three key championships in the, in consecutive years. So, yeah, he's absolutely uh, ready for, for Formula One. Scott, are you as negative about Alpine's prospects for this year? Uh, I have my I've have deep rooted doubts about that organization, which I just feel I just feel has just continued to underachieve ever since it got to its almost natural level in 2017 it hasn't improved at all since then if anything it's fallen back and I think we've said this between us several times it just feels like something that somehow conspires to be less than the sum of its parts so I see no reason for that to have suddenly changed even though in theory they're one of those midfield teams that is positioned to make a pretty big step They've got an all-new car. I know everyone has an all-new car, but what I mean by that is they they were using, I think was it the same monocoque design, I think, for two or three years I think, in, in a row. The 2019 car, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, they self-imposed that engine freeze for 2021 um, so that they could work on an all-new design for 2022. As Mark says, there are some hints that that's having some some issues. Where have we heard that before from... From Renault, they change a load of stuff, promise a load of stuff, and it doesn't go properly. But so, so in theory, they had a lot of potential to improve. The bar could have been raised quite a bit. But this is an organisation that historically has underachieved. So, do I have the? Do I believe that they have a great amount of potential to improve? Yes. Do I believe they have the capacity to actually realise that? 
I'm not convinced by that. And if I'm not convinced by that, then I know he's seeing it from a very different position. Maybe up close, he genuinely believes that it will be realised. But I, I can't see why Fernando would come to a different conclusion, especially because it's his career on the line. And if he thinks he's only got one or two more years at this realistically, then it's now or never with Alpine. I don't think he has any reason to give them a second year if if the if 22 is as bad as it potentially could be if it's pretty strong and they're fourth fastest shall we say fifth fastest but sniping and getting a handful of podiums over the course of the year that might be enough enough but if they're just midfield fodder then i think i i don't see why he'd he'd stick around for another year of that yeah and he'd certainly be looking for a way to jump into another team potentially. He'd probably think there's possibly one more move in him if he's if he's lucky to have the chance to do something we saw last year, how good he still can be. But yeah, all the ingredients at Alpine are a bit worrying, aren't they? It could turn into quite a tricky season. We've already had Alan Prost complaining because obviously he's left his role with the team and was quite unhappy about the fact that it was leaked before it was done as a, a joint announcement as he wants it to be. Martin Bukowski's moved on. So... Changes there probably needed. The key will be whether they're the right changes. But of course, this year's car is the product of the old regime, if you like. So yeah, the the clock's running for Alonso. So very interesting to see what happens. Can you see, Mark, anywhere else being interested in Alonso next season? Anywhere else good, should we say? Anywhere that he thinks will be worth his time? I mean, the only obvious place would be Mercedes if Lewis didn't, you know, come back and... uh, they put him on a one-year deal or something like that. You, you would jump at the chance he'd, he'd rather do one year in a, a Mercedes than another five years in an Alpine, I'm sure. But um, no, short of something like that happening, his, his age is counting against him. Regardless of how good he is, the teams are going to be looking at what value they're going to get from him um, over you know the longer term. So that's obviously that's what's going to count against him. But if uh, yeah, an opportunity opens up for a uh, a, a one-off or a, a two-year placeholding deal where he can uh, you know show that his his skills are, are still um well we know that they're already we know already that his skills are very very high still but to, to demonstrate that they're still capable of uh, taking him into the fight for a world championship then it it takes on a different complexion but when it's only potential and when it's only it looks like he'd be able to do it it's that's not you know that's probably not going to buy him a place at the top team. Yeah, but one thing's for sure, Alonso is probably going to be the ultimate barometer of the progress that team makes in its long-term prospects in terms of whether or not he's there in 2023. Well, next up, we've got Aston Martin, Scott. There's a bit of mystery about Lance Stroll's exact contract, but I think we can assume he's in at Aston Martin for the foreseeable future. Sebastian Vettel's contract is up at the end of the year, Will Vettel want to continue or could the team look elsewhere? I would file this under a very similar situation as the one that Alonso finds himself in, in uh, in Alpine. I think for different reasons. I think there's reason to be a bit more confident in Aston Martin putting things together than Alpine. Uh, and there's also a bit more uh, of a longer term plan in place there, which gives potentially gives Vettel much more confidence in it being worth trying to stick around for two, three, four years, whatever he wants. Whereas Alonso would just be staring at, I think, stagnation. 
Um, but if it's not quite working out at Aston Martin, whether there's uh, something Vettel doesn't like about the, the the team, whether it's not getting the most out of him as a driver, if he still feels like there's there's less and less joy to be derived from F1 and he's got, we know, other interests outside of F1 that he is keen to explore and is exploring more of while he's he's still a Grand Prix driver, then based on the drawn-out nature of confirming him for 2022, I don't see a reason to be 100% convinced that Vettel will stick around beyond beyond this season. Um, but th- there are just more factors that, that could tempt him to stay if things aren't if things aren't great. If things go well, if the team does make a really nice step, if it does look upwardly mobile on track as well as having all this exciting stuff off track and, and Vettel's punchy and he's he's at his best on track, then it's a no-brainer to to continue. So his situation, I think, can go as extreme as developing into a, a very easy choice for 2023 all the way to the other end of the spectrum where, like I say, he could find himself in a similar situation to Alonso. I think the the problem could be if the uh if say they come out with a, a a demon car and um or sort of back sort of where the the racing point was in 2020 or or beyond even um then the question starts to arise from the team how much is Seb um you know getting from the car do we, do we have a, a a barometer um now you you think that's a strange thing to say of a four-time world champion but in the latter part of his career there have been question marks about his raw pace so uh, personally i think uh, on his best days he's he's terrific but there's still like there was still an inconsistency there last year and if the car be- i mean they, they they love having seb there they love the processes that uh, the way he works and it's instigated new processes at the team and it's it's helping them move forward but we've seen this before as, as a as a driver helps to progress a team that and the team moves up the team starts to wonder: Is there another couple of tenths or three tenths or whatever available elsewhere? What what would happen if we put Oscar Piastri in the car, for example? Um, those questions start to arise more when the car becomes good. So, in a way, the pressure then becomes more on on, on Vettel than it would be if it was just sort of um, ticking along as it did last year, which was you know, a, a mediocre, fairly mediocre sort of car. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm going to be very very interested to see the. the 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 not just twenty two but the, the 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 progress the 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 direction of Aston and whether it's 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 going to be upwardly mobile as, as it should be with the the backing that it has and you've they've got you know the chief design the chief aerodynamics from Mercedes and Red Bull they've both joined um, you know they've got they've got a new team principal now um, you know I think there's a there's a lot to be on paper very excited about. At Aston Martin, but there's still question marks too. And the other point about Vettel being there, of course, is um, Otmar, the guy who brought him there, is is no longer with the team, and that who knows how that um, is going to change the dynamic um, between Seb and the team. Although it should be noted that Vettel did work with Mike Crack at BMW back in the day as well. Don't know exactly how good his relationship is with him, but there is a pre-existing relationship. But I, I do feel looking at this, this is the most difficult one to call. Aston Martin and Vettel, simply because all the factors feeding into it, there's just this complicated interaction with them about how much Vettel wants to keep going. 
the level of the team, what other op- options there are on the table. I mean, Scott, could you see a scenario where, say, an Alonso type appeals to them? Uh, I think um, I think it's exactly the sort of driver that would appeal to to Lawrence Stroll, um, and I think if Vettel left, you you want a driver. I think it, that team is uh, that team is convinced or has to be convinced in Lance Stroll being their equivalent of the young guns that are leading the other teams. So. Presumably, therefore, if they're that convinced by him, Lawrence is sure that his sons are world champion in the making. You want to offset that maybe with some, you know, star power and experience, and Alonso would be the perfect fit. So, the, but the question is whether uh, Alonso would fancy his chances of actually being on the right end of uh, swapping drives with someone for a change, and thinking that well, you know, Seb's not seen something here that I can see, so I'm gonna make it so that he's the one who's walked away at the wrong time this time and I'm going to get in there right when the going gets good. Um, but I don't think it's the most outlandish suggestion. It, it seems to be something that, like, project-wise, could tick everybody's boxes. It's an interesting comparison because I think Vettel, he he can take or leave F1, by which I mean not that he's not trying, but I think he's achieved enough and he's at a place in his life from what I can make out that he's more multidimensional than just... I'm an F1 driver and that's all I do, in that if he's not enjoying it, if he's not determined, if he's not motivated, if he doesn't see it's going anywhere, I think he could happily hang up his helmet. It doesn't necessarily mean he will, but I don't think there's that drive that he's got to keep going for as long as possible to to do as much as he can. Whereas we know Alonso does have, have that insofar as he wants one more shot at a world championship and he knows it's it's a bit of a long shot, but that motivation of Alonso, I guess, Mark, would potentially appeal a little bit. Yeah, for sure it would. Um, but I think that the, you, you, there's a distinction between um, Lawrence's belief in in Lance, which you know, let's let's assume Lawrence believes that Lance is on the same level as Charles Leclerc or Lando Norris, let's say. But the, the rest, the rest of the team, you know, at a, at a senior level, probably don't. And I don't mean that disrespectfully to to Lance. I just mean realistically they're probably not seeing the, the the things in the same way so he's he's worthy of his place there it's not a disgrace to have him there but they may be looking at do we really need another you know do we need to go like for like if it's not Seb do we get another you know old ex-champion in and, and without really knowing where they're at now I think the feeling is very much that Alonso is still absolutely at the cutting edge of the, of the game, but there's always that nagging doubt when it's an older driver, as opposed to someone like I keep saying it, but Piastri, who looks to be the next Leclerc or the, the, that color potential of, of of driver. So you, you know, you, you suddenly sometimes when when a team puts a a young rookie in like that, it suddenly exposes how much the been giving away um, in in the past, and I think there may be that. It's just going back to what I said before. There may be that question mark among quite senior people at the team that um, there may be leaving performance on the table. Yeah, then it all comes down to what the ownership wants to do, and that's one of the complications of, of Lance Stroll being at a team. He's a perfectly capable Grand Prix driver, but 
certainly while Lawrence Stroll sees him as a future world champion, it's quite hard to see him realising that. There aren't many people who can be world champion, let's face it. There's only 34 drivers who've won the world championship. You've got to be something extraordinary, not just not just very good. So, yeah, Aston Martin feels to me one of the most unpredictable of them all. Let's have a look now, Mark, at the lower part of the grid because that's where there's the most uncertainty which is not unusual so across Alfa Romeo Williams and Haas only Valtteri Bottas is actually locked in for next year but if those teams are still down the back in the coming season it's going to be a while before they see what scraps are going to fall off the table of the bigger team so it is a little bit more difficult to predict isn't it it is yeah to an extent they're they're, they're scavenging on the in the driver market they're not um sort of uh, dictating their own destiny. The, the interesting one is what Ferrari does with Mick Schumacher uh, in among that group because ho- hopefully the Haas is a decent car next year and, and it becomes a non-issue. But if not, where do they put them to keep that career progress going? If there's, There may not be room at Alpha. You know, Valtteri's there on a, a multi-year deal. Um, Zoo's providing the backing. And if he has a very strong rookie season, it would be difficult to justify putting chucking them out just to make room for Mick. So the senior team looks set for a few years with his current lineup, you'd say. So where does he go if he continues to progress in his performance from what was a pretty strong rookie platform last year, stronger than I think um, most people expected. So they for sure will find a solution, but it will mean crowbarring him in somewhere. So yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with that. So there's five drivers then across that that trio of teams that have been at the back of the grid this this year that aren't locked in for beyond beyond 22. So of those, I wonder how many of them will actually still be on the grid in 23. I wonder also what scope there is for any moving around between them because if you've got Guan Yu Zhou, who F1 will be pushing and pushing and pushing to keep him in F1 in 23 because that's the earliest we're going to get a Chinese race again. And they they want to get the second Chinese race over the line. So I could see Joe either getting a second year at Alfa Romeo or switching to Haas. At Haas, Mick, I would be amazed if he drops off the grid in, in 23. Mazepin, I just really don't... I just don't see him unless they unless his father buys the team outright. I just can't see Haas putting up with him for a for a third year. So I would say he's vulnerable. And then the Williams drivers, I don't know. Albon feels like he's sort of the a a bit more of a sensible medium term option. But at what point does you know Latifi's appeal run out? Because he's becoming a perfectly okay Grand Prix driver but he's I don't think he's ever going to be a stunning team leader or someone that you can properly properly depend on all all respect to him I just don't think he's that he's that driver I think he's a sort of an okay number two if you've got a George Russell in the team as well so when you look at those five it's kind of difficult to it's difficult to know exactly where they'll end up but I'd be surprised if all five were back in in 2023 what about you Ed? The starting point for changes, I guess, is the potential for someone like Teo Pacher to get that seat that Joe's got at Alfa Romeo. That's certainly something that's on the agenda for Alfa Romeo. So he could come in there. So straight away, that's four of the five only can be on the grid. And you look at the the knock-on effects, 
I think you're right that Joe could be someone who ends up at Haas because Haas, obviously, if they do continue without Mazepin next year, which my gut feeling isn't only a gut feeling, is they'd rather avoid having Mazepin if they can. They'll either need a driver with significant backing, which Joe has, or they'll need to find a pretty major sponsor or a few big big partners. Again, obviously, they're chasing sponsors and partners, all Formula One teams are, so we'll have to see how, how that goes. So perhaps that could be that knock-on effect. Then you've got Mazepin knocking around with money, Latifi knocking around presumably with money. We don't know. I mean, the Latifi family can afford to bankroll him in F1 indefinitely. Whether they want to is another question, but Latifi's got experience. He's a good, diligent, professional, perfectly competent Grand Prix driver, so he could also appeal to to a team like Haas. So it's it's just so up in the air, isn't it? Albon is effectively on on trial, as it were, because I think everybody sees Alex Albon as a driver with a lot of ability. But the question is, can he consistently access that ability? If he can do that with Williams this year, he'll suddenly be a, a very different proposition. So it's it's really complicated. And we've also got to wait for who might tumble down from some of the the higher tables in Formula One as well and be interested in, in those drives. So yeah, it's it's really, really hard to tell what will have what will happen there and what what other drivers might push themselves into into contention. Valtteri's there among those three teams. Um Mick's probably gonna be in the in the in the mix somewhere. And uh that's about as much as you can say really, isn't it? Yeah and obviously Mick Schumacher would probably be keen on a move higher up the grid if he can, but obviously Ferrari's two customer teams are are Alpha and Haas. So that creates an interesting little scenario there and you never know if there's other drivers with either budget or who have stellar season saying f2 can get involved in the in the in the fight can you see any left field candidates popping up in the coming six months 12 months scott uh i think the only other person that would really be in contention at those seats would be if um piastri's got nowhere to go at alpine if that's the case i would be I would be going after him so quickly if I were if I were Jos Capito. I, I think because Williams is the team that ostensibly should have the most independence and the most freedom to pick the drivers it wants. There, he would just be he'd be so far ahead at, as number one on my list if I ran that team that it wouldn't be a list. It, it would just it would just be Oscar Piastri's name <laughs> on a piece of paper. Uh, I just think he's because it doesn't matter then. Like whether you decide, okay, well, Latifi's solid and he's going to bring some money, we'll keep him around. Or if you think actually you can have Albon and he does a really good job and you've got him on a slightly longer term deal because Red Bull don't want him back. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. If you, if you, it, it doesn't matter then because you've got that potential superstar or at least a really highly rated guy in the, in the team who you know you can give two or three years there and, and have as a, as a project. So I just think he's... I just think he should be the he, he his future should be settled by the the summer break. I don't know what his management have got with Alpine if they've got an agreement of you either tell us if he's getting an Alpine drive for twenty three by July thirty first. Otherwise, we're free to talk to other teams. And the second he's free for to talk to other teams, Williams should just be saying, right, what do you want for us to get you in our car? Yeah, I think Piastri is going to be. A man in demand, certainly, and the one most likely to break into F1 who's not on the grid this year. But I think what we've established is there's plenty of scope for it to be a really interesting, silly season over the, the coming year with, with the driver market being potentially so volatile. Obviously, 
2022 is a little bit more static. Last year was a big change, which was interesting. So there's going to be plenty of stories about this and plenty of shenanigans going on and plenty of unexpected moves, I imagine, in terms of who crops up as candidates for various drives. But hopefully we've given you a bit of an idea of the landscape as it is now. So thanks very much, Scott Mitchell and Mark Hughes, for your insight. Do head to therace.com and don't forget the hyphen as there's loads to read there. Check out our sister podcasts, including Bring Back V10s and also have a look at our YouTube channel. Just search for The Race. Thanks very much for listening. We'll be back soon with everything you need to know from the world of Formula One. (laughs) 